Okay, let's have a run if we can. Will you pull that door, Tim, for me, please? Thank you very much. Good to see you. Lent 5. So uh, Wednesday night service this week and then busy Holy Week next week. Start to make plans to come around. Um, There's no Wednesday service next week. This week there is Wednesday, but Holy Week there's not Wednesday. Just the Triduum, right? Yeah, 12-15, good. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Okay, this is the week of Judica. Um, Christ says, for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be consecrated in truth. So what Christ tries to bring you into is being true. That's good news. Uh, Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, who in your Son gave to us a pioneer of salvation and made him a true and eternal priest and mediator of his people, grant, we beg you, that we may hold fast to him in love, learn obedience in his discipleship, and be brought into the heavenly sanctuary through him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Okay, a couple of things to do. Here's this. Um, today we're going to, you know, what's always nice in the church, you can take, you always have a little bit of flexibility. One of our cleaning women, um, very nice woman, uh, doesn't speak a lot of English, very faithful. Uh, her son, uh, she came to us midweek, and her son was having heart trouble, and we tried to arrange to get some money to her to get him to the hospital. Uh, by the time he got to the hospital, uh, he died, 24. So that's very difficult. Um, you know, there's all kinds of big fees, $2,500 to release the body from the ward for the burial. She can't actually go back. Uh, he was buried this week, although she's going to bear some measure of cost. So we're going to take the money that we um, have today and, and give that to her family. You know, Buck Services works here. They're a very good company. Um, they treat us very well, and, and they do a very fine job. They're trying to put some stuff together, too, so we're going to work with them uh, to, to try to help her out. So those people over the years uh, who have helped us in that way have really become, in many ways, close to us. They're, they're friends. They've invited us to birthday parties and introduced us to family and um, done a lot of extra work around here and stuff. So it's, uh, we've become close to those people. It's difficult when they suffer like that. So we'll... we'll um, and Carol, if you can get that, and whoever you go with, and then Martha will coordinate that, so uh, we'll, we'll move it in that direction. Okay. Um, anything from last week? Anybody got anything left? Question about anything? Otherwise, we'll uh, press on. There's a little bit... Um, gosh, I hardly... Uh, there's so much to do. We're not going to go next week for Palm Sunday, and then we're not going to go for Easter. So after this week, you get two weeks off. I'm a little... Uh, you know, as I always am, I'm a little wary of slowing down. I'm a little wary of speeding up. I don't want to get through this stuff too quickly. Um, on the other hand, I don't want to lag with you. So you can, uh, you know, push and pull how you like. Um, I'll give you a little bit from Luther first from the large catechism. Nothing is so effectual against the devil, the world, and our flesh, and against all the evil thoughts as to occupy yourself with the word of God. Uh, to talk about it and to meditate upon it. Psalm 1 reminds those and calls them blessed who meditate on the law day or night. You'll never offer up any incense or other savor more potent against the devil than to occupy yourself with God's commandments. So kind of what we're doing now. And his words, and to speak, sing, and meditate on those commandments. So um, there you go. That's what we're trying to aim at today. Uh, The Bailey stuff... Uh, continues to be very helpful, I hope. Um, this week, 
It's about anger and forgiveness. Next week, it's about imagination and forgiveness. A very potent text for next week. I'm actually going to come back to it whenever we return and study again together because it's so interesting. But if you, um, if you read this bit today, it's very helpful, I think, as you think about people who, whom you have wronged and also people who have wronged you. Um, you know, this is great stuff. Furthermore, biblical for- forgiveness doesn't mean never mind. You know, this is the thing about sin just doesn't go away. You got to, uh, time doesn't heal. Um, and it also doesn't mean uh, offering forgiveness does not dictate that injustice must be tolerated. So you don't go through life and, you know, you just let people do whatever they want. You act like nothing happened. People have real feelings and they have real hurts and there are real sins. And there are real sinners and there are real people who get sinned against and you stir all that up and you have yourself a congregation. So, you know, read through this. But I thought it was um, fascinating when he says, uh, this is if you have a bulletin or when you grab a bulletin later, in the second paragraph, through forgiveness, the bitterness, anger, hatred, and desire for revenge are drained out of the struggle. And the person contends with those for whom he or she may now be able to feel genuine compassion. So the suggestion is, while there's still anger, while there's still revenge, while there's still hatred, while you're still, still trying to destroy the other people, that's not forgiveness, that's something else. It's actually anger and hatred and the need for revenge. But real forgiveness drains that out so that you can uh, restore the person who is a sinner which, of course, is what Matthew 18 is all about. Um, I'll talk more about this when we come back, but it's going to be in a couple of weeks. But think about it this way. If somebody has sinned and you know they're a sinner, being quiet is not a way to love them. Being quiet is a way to hate them. It's a, it's a passive way to hate somebody, to leave somebody in their sin, because, as you all know, the wages of sin is death. And if you let somebody go down to eternal death, That's hatred, not love. So um, when people have sinned against other people, you can't just say, oh, I'll be be quiet or I I won't. uh, It doesn't really matter. I'm not going to engage it. It needs to be engaged. Now, the thing is, how it's engaged is extraordinarily important. And I just sort of offer you this as a suggestion that it's when the bitterness, the anger, the hatred, the desire for revenge are all wrung out of it. And what you feel for the person who is a sinner is compassion. That's when forgiveness starts, and that's when forgiveness will be effective. Um, The day of victory or defeat will not become a day of vengeance. So just kind of think that through as you're working with other people. Um, The other thing is, is I was, uh, there's two or three really, really great things. I'm going to just sort of put this in your ear. I know if I ever let Pastor Gaining talk again from this place, uh, you know, what he's going to talk about is, is restitution, which Jesus talks about all the time. And actually, um, our confessions talk about that. And so we have this sort of sense as I'm really, you know, I, I hurt you, and then you say you sinned against me, and I, I say, please forgive me, you forgive me. And I just let you go as if nothing happened. No, no. no. That's the beginning in some sense, not the end. And you have that, um, you know, if you, if you rob the bank, you give the money back. If you've told a lie about somebody, you go and untell it to all the people you told. That's what makes gossip so hard because, you know, it moves so quickly. Um, but look at the confessions on page 7 uh, it, here. 
Um, it's true that this is a third line down. It's true that in our that in our teaching, it's true that in our teaching, penitence works are required. Should be penitent works are required, since a new life is certainly required. But here, our opponents maliciously maintain that by such works we merit forgiveness or justification. See, not at all. It goes like this: sin, forgiveness, and then the good works. It doesn't go sin, good works, forgiveness. And this is kind of basic law and gospel stuff. You have to kind of keep a basic law and gospel definition in your head. The law is what God demands. Okay? He demands that you be perfect if you're going to save yourself. So the law is what God demands. The gospel is when God meets his own demands in Christ, and then he gives, him, gives those to you as a gift. And then you live, as the scriptures say, um, in joy as his slave, to love. Uh, Romans, the great text that talks about um, our forgiveness of sins. I'll just give you a little bit from Romans 6, um, 21, uh, or 20, 21, 22. Um, For the end of those things is death, your sins. But now you've been set free from sin. You know, once you're forgiven, once the gospel's applied, you're set free from sin and have become slaves of God. So you do exactly what God asks you to do. This is obedience again. This is also love. They all become the same thing once you're forgiven. The fruit you lead, I'm sorry, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. Isn't that remarkable? You know, that makes Lutherans so nervous, but it's Paul in Romans, Luther's big book. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Sin forgiveness, sanctification, eternal life, and all of that is gift. And you can't short-circuit the process. So sin, forgiveness, and then never a good work, or sin, forgiveness, and never restitution. It doesn't work that way. Uh, Romans speaks this way. Our confessions speak this way. Jesus makes wrongs right, and insofar as you are able, once you are forgiven, you too make wrongs right. It's terribly important to do that. And, um, you know, just one more, I give you the last one. It just happened that, that these sort of clustered in this fifth week. Uh, if you go to page, um, I think it was 12 in here, maybe it was 14. Um, that's actually 16. At the bottom of 16, uh, mercy is to fasting as rain is to the earth. See, so your good works don't matter without mercy. Grace is the presence of a person. However much you may cultivate your heart, clear the soil of your nature, root out your vices and sow your virtues. If you do not release the springs of mercy, your fasting will not bear fruit. So it's not just a matter of rooting things out, a negative thing. It's also about the positive application of mercy. Now it's all the way back around. Mercy doesn't abide anger. Mercy doesn't abide vengeance. Mercy doesn't abide... um, uh, bitterness, you know, all that goes away. When you fast a thin sowing of mercy, you'll have a thin harvest. When you fast what you pour out in mercy overflows in your heart. I'm sorry. When you fast a thin sowing of mercy will mean a thin harvest. When you fast what you pour out in your heart, pour out in mercy overflows into your barns. So don't lose by saving, but gather by scattering. So um, always doing the good deed toward that. 
Okay, so I just, I just sort of put you there because we're, we're going to go there. We just haven't got there so, so far yet. Um, this question's on any of that stuff. Try to, keep, try to keep the law and gospel stuff clear in your head. Try to keep justification clear in your head. Justification is being forgiven. Sanctification is living forgiven. So once you're forgiven, you live as a new slave to Christ, and that means to be obedient to him. Okay, you still okay? Okay, we're just about, uh, we're at the seventh commandment. We'll talk, um, I handed you out a thing. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Does anybody need this, how Christians should be taught to confess? Anybody need that? I got one if you need it. Please raise your hand if you do. I promise we'll bring you one. You got one? Okay, good. Can you hand these out? Peters need one. Our friends, good to see you. Um, So all this was under making a good confession, which is to be, confess, uh, to, to be confessing your sins and then um, to be forgiven. Okay. Okay, seventh commandment. Um, just one other thing. I wonder, I'm, I very much hope that you can see the commandments as your friends. Um, I told the new members this Saturday, but I was... Um, in a discussion with somebody over a sin um, who said something like, what I figured out is that this isn't good for me. Why didn't anybody tell me this isn't good for me? I'm thinking, that's very insightful. You know, I, you growing up, you probably were told all sorts of things about the Ten Commandments. You are probably told all sorts of things about church. You know, uh, if you're like any other human being, you tried to, you know, forget about them or move through them or find the edges or got past them sometimes. But the reality is, it's not good for you to um, hurt other people. It's just not good for you. It might feel good. It's not good for you, Fifth Commandment. It's really good for you to honor your parents and be faithful to your spouse. Sixth Commandment, Fourth Commandment. And then this one today... It's really good for you to be generous. And the opposite of that is the flip side. It's very bad for you to be miserly. And the ultimate miserly is not to just keep your own stuff, but to take from other people. See? So the commandments are really good for you. And sometimes we have to just, you know, sometimes we think about these as ruin and our fun, but this is actually good for you. This is what will bring you life. To live this way, to be forgiven, and then to live... You know, Lutherans classically speak of this as the third use of the law or the gospel use of the law. I mean, here it is. We should fear and love God so that we don't take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in a dishonest way. So there's a negative. Don't do that. That'll go badly for you. You steal from your neighbor, that'll go badly for, for you. But help him improve and protect his property and income, as I learned it, or possessions and income. Okay. So... God has given me my property and goods that I might serve my family and neighbor with his gifts. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. The reason God gives you stuff is so that you can give it on to other people. So you can give to the church and so that you can give to other people. As Jesus said about the Pharisees, one of the few times he complimented them, you tithe and you do well. Or watch the Pharisees. They tithe and they give alms. They not only give to the church, but they also give to the poor. Those are two separate things. Tithing is to the church. Alms is for the poor. Um, have I been lazy at work, doing poor in school or at the job, or working hard only when the teacher or boss has been around? So do I always give my best effort with the talents that I've been given? 
um, have I been stingy in paying my workers? Uh, you know, fairs, fair days work for, 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 for um, fair pay. Have I been greedy or demanding best pay for poor work? So um, am I honest about that? Have I worked for myself rather than for Christ and for the benefit of my neighbor? So in everything I do, do I um, first think about Christ and the benefit of my neighbor? I don't know if you saw 60 Minutes last week on the credit crisis. Um, did any of you see that? Did you watch it? With Michael Lewis, the interview? It's fascinating stuff. They put a question to him. Did, did, the, did the people work hard who were making 40, 50, 60 million dollars a year? Yes, they did. They had one guy on who in the credit crisis last year, he was the first guy to figure it out, um, made $726 million by betting the right side of the, the mortgage market. Um, he said, did they work hard? Well, they, they did a lot. They put in long hours. And then he said, was it worth it? And they said, well, if you measure that by just putting in a lot of hours, but it did, did it do anybody any good? See? Does your work do anybody else any good? It's a very different kind of question. One, that, one question is about, can you, can you play the game? Can you figure out the rules and play the game to your own advantage? That's one kind of question. The other question is, does what you do help first Christ and then your neighbor and then you after that? Okay? So it's just something really important to think about. Have I cared for the property in the neighborhood, school, and church so that it was improved? Have I stolen from the office, from the school, or from the church? Or, look at this, or stood silently while others took what was not theirs? Have I stolen information? You know, we're more sensitive to that now, too. Um, talk to kids about, you know, whether you have to pay for music or, you know, why you can buy, you know, why, why songs are 99 cents on, on uh, iTunes and they're 9 cents if you, uh, you know, hit some of the sites that are in uh, Poland or the USSR. Is that really honest? Um, have I wasted time, food, money by my neglect? Have I been stingy when it comes to giving to the Lord a generous portion as a thank offering for all he's given to me? And have I stolen from my neighbor my, by not helping him in time of need? So you see all of that. You have these great monetary responsibilities when it comes to the church. Yes, please. Yeah. Right. 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 Great. Okay. Did you get that? So, so in the early church, there were all kinds of, there were there were all kinds of offering. There was your normal tithe. There was a thank offering when something went really well for you. You so you'd have a child. You'd you know give some. Um, there was also atonements when things went really badly. You'd make some restitution. There was all kinds of different offerings. So the question is, how did the church get away from that? Um, the answer is somewhat that we're confused. Uh, partly for a couple of reasons. One is if you read in Acts 2, everybody always talks about being an, uh, an Acts kind of church, an early church, let's get back to the Bible. I mean, in Acts 2, um, you remember that the earliest Christians brought everything they had and gave it all to the church. So um, some people today would argue, you know, um, well, Jesus, they had to give 10% in the Old Testament and uh, Jesus fulfilled the law, therefore I don't have to give 10% anymore. Actually, in the early church, they understood differently. 
I had to give 10%. Jesus fulfilled the law, so now I'll give everything to the church. They had all things in common, Acts 2, 42-43. Um, okay, so nobody's rising up to say, let's do that. I'll just check in with you. Okay. Um, now, why is that okay or not okay? What do you think? Okay, I'll answer my own question. Um, because in some sense, it's, it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. It's what they decided to do. So we are free to do as we wish. Um, and I gave you this, you know, th- what I gave you, I probably wrote up, you know, 12 years ago, the first pass we ever went through Bible study here. I gave you about four pages on giving. I'm not going to go through all that today. I'm going to give you the short thing on it. But we have to talk about giving once in a while so we don't always have to talk about giving. Um, and you who've been through new members or if you've been around lately, I mean, you know my speech on this, which is um, in the Old Testament, the Lord demanded 10%. That's the law. You brought 10%, and you gave it to the church, no questions asked, and the priests were in charge of distributing and caring for all of that, right? And then there were other things that were distributed, but your primary thing was this 10%. Um, then comes Jesus, and then people say, well, that's Jesus is the end of the law, and they quote Romans, and that's true. Jesus is the end of the law, or better, it's the telos of the law, the fulfillment of the law. So now I'm free. And the question is, free to give how much? So how much do Lutherans give nationally? You know this because I've said it to you. What do they give? 2.7 if you're a Missouri sin. It's slightly better than all Lutherans together who give 2.4. And it goes down with the nomination. So somehow, this is what happened. We're great big sinners and we have to give 10%, and the Lord sends Jesus, and he dies on the cross, and he forgives all our sins, and we're so grateful for that that now, instead of giving 10%, we give 2.7. Yes, we are very thankful about that. Yes, we are. And then we wonder in the church why we have so much trouble with money, right? I mean, we haven't talked about anything but money for about two years here. And now we wonder why we have so much trouble with money. Well, the answer is we have so much trouble with money because we don't listen to what Christ says. Um, what I would think that that means is you don't have to give 10% anymore. You're free to give 12 or 15%. In our neck of the woods, many of you folks probably should be around 20% because you have way more than you could ever need. Um, and you really need to think about that carefully. Um, sort of how, I mean, just sort, of, sort of how giving should work. I was just sort of... Um, kind of spin it out for you. Um, Because we're so bad at picking numbers, just go ahead and take the Lord's number, take 10. And adjust your um, giving. Before you buy your third car or your second house, you should probably be making sure that you're giving 10% to the Lord or more. Why? Because that's what the Lord asked, he demanded, but now you're free. And it's very difficult to make the case that you can give less than that, it seems to me. It's just just very difficult that the church doesn't need that, that other people don't need that. Um, It's just very difficult to make that case. Work on that first in your own life and observe the thing that was on page 16 that says if you sow mercy thinly, you get a thin crop, and if you sow mercy uh, generously, you get a generous crop. If you had a church that everybody gave 10%, you would watch 90% of your problems go away. Because for us, most things come down to money. Where Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus talks about money. I think second only to talking about prayer in the scriptures. Um, so you, first you give your tithe. Then, occasionally, if a church wants to do something beyond that, 
buy a building, for example, you can make a vow, as it were, to give more as the church decides. Um, but really, you remember over and over again, we said, you know what, don't give to that until you get your regular Sunday tithe cleaned up. You know, just as an aside, um, there's a long history in the church of people using money as a weapon, or at least as a lever, like, oh, I don't like what's going on, so I'm going to stop giving, or I don't like what's going on, so um, I'm going to cut that. I mean, if you can find a biblical text for that, I'm happy to read it. But uh, the responsibility really is in giving is you give as the Lord has asked you to give. You can't find any place where it says, unless you don't like what's going on or you didn't win the vote in the voters' meeting or you think things might have turned. I mean, if you're part of the community, be part of the community. If you're not part of the community, don't be part of the community. But if you're part, it's in for a penny, in for a pound. Um, in, you know, if you go to buy a new car, and you can, you can beat the dealership down from $30,000 to $20,000. Everybody thinks you're a genius. <laughs> if you do that in the church, you're a sinner. I'll just, just be real honest with you. <laughs> I mean, that world is not this world. So your first thing is, is you're giving from your normal stuff mercifully. Your next thing is, um, if there's something that the church says, here we go, fix your, fix your tithing first, then give to that. And occasionally... Somebody will come in, this is actually true, somebody will come in and say, um, I want to make a special gift, and then we'll say, um, are you tithing? Yeah, and we can check that. Did you go to the capital campaign? We all decided to do that. Yeah. And you still want to give something? Yeah. And then normally, uh, we, we, we're very careful about saying, okay, does that fit kind of with the tenor of the congregation? Um, I'll just give you an example of how, how people use stuff. I, I know a congregation where, you know, it's how sad stories turn even sadder. I know a congregation where a boy was hit with a pitch in Little League and died. You know, this happens every once in a while. And it was one of the families in, that was big givers, and they, um, they uh, were pretty powerful in the church, had elders and people. So it was a smaller congregation. So, um, you know, their child died, which is a great tragedy. But they came in the next Sunday, and they'd put a big, without asking anybody, they'd put a big black, brass plaque on the wall and screwed it in, in honor of their son who had died. Now, you be the pastor. What do you want to do? Yeah, take a vacation. That's exactly right. <clears throat> That's exactly what you want to do. <laughs> because what's happening? It's somebody who's... Powerful is using leverage. Their pain is greater than anybody else's pain. They've taken a community space and they've decided what they're going to do with it without asking anybody else, you know. So it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a difficult thing. Um, better would be, you know, arrange all your own tithing, then look to what the congregation is doing, and then if you want to do something beyond that, um, then you can do something. I, every once in a while, you'll see there's a thing called the Senior Pastors Discretionary Fund, and since I'm the senior pastor, that's at my discretion, that rankles some people here horribly. But you got to ta- pass about five tests to get through that, get any money into that fund. Here's what has to happen. You have to be tithing, you have to be faithful in church, you have to have been given to the campaign, ca- capital campaign and fulfilled that. And then if you still have money, this happened ten times since I've been here, um, people have said, take this and do whatever you want with it, which actually is the biblical model. You bring the money to the pastor and he decides what he wants to do. If you don't believe that, read all the things I've written on those four single-space pages. That's what, that's what they did in the church. 
because um, they trusted their pastors to know the people and to be faithful with the money. Just read the text. So um, when that first happened to me probably eight years ago, nine years ago, I actually tried to get out of it. Um, and I have letters back and forth with donors where I said, this isn't going to go well for you or me. Because as soon as people see that line item, they'll get all, you know, their feathers will get all ruffled up. And um, So the agreement I made then was, and I said, I'll be willing to tell you, and I've always said this, I'll be willing to tell you I'm going to spend the money. To a person, people have said, we don't want to know where you spend the money, which is a great deal of pressure and trust at the same time. Um, and so then what I've said is, well, I'll tell you what the agreement will be. I won't spend the money on me. Um, I'll spend the money on things or things for others or, or for other persons. So, for example, we've done things like sent money to students who were admitted to do cool projects, one in Italy, one in Australia, for example, or people who have uh, overachieved and gotten admitted somewhere to some great program and they can't go, or, you know, it's stuff like that. And I've kept very detailed records that two or three people see, but interestingly, the donors have never asked to see that. Now, part of the reason that money is still in the books is because it got borrowed away for other things, and it sort of kind of sits there. But, um, you know, you should, you should know about stuff like that, but try to um, come to the point where we can be a little less... When you give a gift to the church, you've given a gift to the church, and you can't call it back or push it or pull it to your own devices. If that's what's going to happen, then don't give it because that's not a gift to the church. Once you give something to the church, once you give something to the Lord, it leaves your hands, and it's no longer yours. Just questions about any of that? Yes, please. Can I go behind you to Karen, and then I'll come back to you? Yes, Karen. Well, nobody has any rights in the church, so I would just gently rephrase your question. So the question is, does a congregation with memorial members have a right to say where things would go? Nobody has any rights in the church because rights work by the law, and we went through everything by the gospel. However, knowing you, um, that wasn't what you were asking anyway. I just happened to answer it. So now I'm going to answer what you asked, which is, what about memorials? I think what's good with memorials is um, you just talk to a few people and see where it's going to go. As pastors, we try to honor what people want, but um, we also can't, there's this delicate thing of, um, there are things which are in, within the character of the congregation and things which aren't in the character of the congregation. So if you say, Karen, I want to I leave a memorial and I, I want to buy a new chalice, let's say. The congregation always has a chalice, chalices wear out, someday we'll use them. But here's the thing, you can't leave 10 bucks for an $8,000 chalice because we'll both be disappointed. That is, we'll never, we'll never get it, and um, it'll always be there. And, and um, or, but if somebody leaves money for a thing that only they want, um, that's a difficulty. So, in some ways, the best way is to kind of express a preference, and maybe even talk with a few people. You can talk with the pastors. You can talk with other people. You can talk with your family. Um, the other things we've tried to do, even in the new building. I mean, we're going to be so pressed with. Um, you know, because we, we went long on dirt and, and short on stuff, which is okay because the next generation can buy stuff. But, you know, if you're, if you're done with your tithe and you're done with your capital campaign thing and you'd like to say, um, 
give another $25,000 for the font, that would be great. It takes the font out of the line item and it lets us spend that on something else. So those kinds of things. But normal things, normal things, altar linens, <coughs> hymnals, normal stuff that wears out in the course of a church, that's, that's kind of a no-brainer. I will tell you, um, we have been sort of, we, since we knew we were moving next door for the past few years, we've, we've been sort of um, careful about what we've bought with memorial things, knowing that we'll need a bunch of new stuff when we move next door. So that fund has gotten bigger, but it'll kind of all go, go kind of at once when we get there. Can I of course you can. No, you should. So the question is, uh, Karen, I don't know, this is something dear to my heart that we should do better with here. About, Karen, what's the number? Is it 97%, 96% of blind folks are unchurched in America? Yeah. Something like that. It's a big number. 97%. 97%. That's, it's, those are both unbelievable numbers, which give you the chance for two kinds of mercy. So 97% of blind folks don't come to church. 70% are unemployed, okay? So Karen does this very cool thing. Is it still once a month, Karen? that they gather uh, a lot of blind folks here in this place just for the joy of fellowship, and actually they get a good Jesus word in. So our question is, occasionally they have friends who die. Uh, they give money, should they, and they say, can we give it to um, St. John Wheaton Blind Outreach? The answer is yes, because um, you're already going strong. We give you a shamefully little amount of money to keep you going. And that's something the congregation has already said, hey, that's a good thing, that's a good thing. Um, the other thing is, is one has to, as you get more into these things, you have to distinguish between um, operating expenses and um, I, how should I call it, um, things that are extraordinary. If you're always using uh, extra, if you're always trying to find extra money for operating expenses, you're not living within your budget and not given enough. Your revenues are too small and your expenses are too high. You have to fix that. But that's actually not what you're talking about. You're talking about something beyond that. So try to, if it's not a normal, a normal operating expense, any organization that takes in constantly outside its budget money for normal operating expenses eventually is going to fail. Um, and people who, uh, organizations that let people direct, um, direct money in that way uh, in the end suffer because what happens is it fractures the community. But that's not at all what you're talking about. You're talking about a thing that's very noble, which we have underfunded, and which the, the participants themselves you know, want to uh, carry on with. And it's, it's outside our normal kind of operating stuff, so that would be very helpful, it would seem to me. Byron, question about that? Okay, thanks. So you can read this if you want. I sort of, I, you know, my short course, and I always, you know, take new members through this, and everybody who comes to St. John hears this. It's basically like this. You know, in the Old Testament, the Lord asked for 10%. Uh, Jesus comes and makes us free, but he doesn't make us free for nothing. If you think if you think he makes us free for nothing, then insert a zero and see if you think that pleases the Lord. Well, zero clearly doesn't please the Lord because all over the New Testament, people are giving, giving, giving up to 100%. So then you ask yourself, what do you do? The answer is Lutherans really stink at picking numbers. 2.4? Really? Leave me. You won't be getting into college with that interpretation. So... Um, if you're bad at picking numbers, let the Lord pick a number for you. If you want to pick a number above the Lord's number, be careful, but you know, go ahead if you think you can do it, and then, then order your life after that. You might take all the stress and trauma of the economy in the last couple of years 
as a chance to reorder your life. Um, you know, I said this and people thought it was a little flippant, so I'm going to say it again in a non-flippant way. When we had the capital campaign, people you know, said, oh gosh, oftentimes I don't know if I can give or I don't know if I can give that much. Then came the stock market crash and people lost 20, 30, 40 percent. And guess what? You're all still here. So what happened if we had given that 20, 30, 40 percent, you know, in advance? Now here's the thing. Some folks did. I mean, some folks went, you know, over the top. And here's the other thing. Um, it's going to sound very non-Lutheran, but given the, what I just read to you from our confessions, the Lord rewards good works. He's very happy with you when you're generous. He doesn't earn your salvation. I'm talking about sanctification. He loves you. He forgives you. He makes you a slave to his righteousness, and his righteousness is utterly generous. So I guess I'm begging you here, under the, under the seventh commandment, don't steal is the negative, and Christ and your neighbor, you know, come first. What I'm asking you to do is use this time to um, reorder your own financial lives. It's been very painful for a lot of people. I would suggest that nobody here has escaped that. It's been very painful. But, um, you know, Gene Frost did a nice job of talking at the school meeting on Thursday. He said three things which the pastors have been saying for a couple of years. Um, he said, change is coming, embrace it. Um, he said, you know, don't waste a crisis. He said, crisis is opportunity. Third point was, help me out. Oh, this is the way the culture's going, um, change or die. You have, to, you have to engage the culture. And we've talked about postmodern culture for a couple of years. You know, he said basically the same thing that we've said to you for a couple of years. If you don't believe us, believe him. You know, do what he said. You have change, embrace the culture, and use crisis as a chance to rearrange your life and then come out of it even stronger. That's what we're trying to do. Just questions about any of that? You can read the long bit there, but um, I just want to encourage you uh, going forward, you know, somehow we have to, um, I'm very grateful for so many people who I've talked to over these um, past months and a lot of good, good-headed, good-hearted people are, are making, a, doing a lot of work and, and uh, uh, giving a lot of great suggestions. And, and I, by the way, I do want to say to you, um, please come to the information meeting, at least one of them, come to an information meeting and come to the voters meetings that are going to uh, come up. Um, in the next couple of months. Just please be an informed voter. Please come. Please participate. But do take this as a chance to just kind of kind of relook at your life. It would be interesting as we look at how we talk and how we live. Wouldn't it be interesting in our congregation if sort of, you know, 10% was kind of the normal way, not as a law, but as, yeah, that's who we are because there's so much need here in other places. In the new members class, um, you know, by my own figuring of people I talk, we're taking in about 50 new members. I think that's probably 20 families. I know, I, from what I can tell, from people talking about five of those families, um, from what I can tell, are, are given at 10%. That's some of the new members. And, and they've re several of them, two or three I've talked to, have rearranged their lives in order to do that. Um, Gosh, if they can do it and they're brand new, you can do it too. I, I'm not sort of, you just have to be, you have to understand, I'm not, I'm not sort of giving you this is the law. I'm telling you, this is what, this is the gospel in forgiveness. There's great need here. We have great need here. We have great need in the school. We have great need all around us. We got poor people who come every day for food. 
We have people in our congregation who have need. By the way, many of you have been so generous with the manna thing. The manna thing has been spectacular. Those three women who started that at the beginning, it, it was Ann and um, Tammy and uh, Carol. You know, they came a year and a half ago or a year ago, and we've given out hundreds, thousands of dollars to church members so they could just get food on the table and have heat this winter. That kind of stuff, that's how the church should work. Please don't hear me saying this to you. What I'm saying to you is, this is just what the church does. If you don't believe me, read the text. The church started at 100%. When it wasn't 10%, it was 100%. And when Paul says things like, you know, take a collection so when I get there, we don't have to have a capital campaign. For crying out loud, have the money in a sack and just hand it over. And here's my big thing, so we can talk about other stuff. The reason we're talking about money today is so we don't talk about money another day. It's such a distraction for us. We live in America. You know, we make a lot of money. We have a lot of things. The competition is really stiff. Here's the deal. Let's be a place that's different than that. Let's be a place that's not controlled by our money. Let's be a place that when we give a gift, you know, it, it's out of our hands and it goes, it goes where the Lord wants it to go. And let's talk about other things. Let's talk about Ghana. Let's talk about Russia. Let's talk about Cambridge. Let's talk about Grace School. Let's talk about our own members. You know, let's talk about our school. Let's talk about our church. Let's talk about all those things. Let's, let's be the place that is positive when it speaks about this, the place that can be proud of how generous they are and how kind they are. Let's be the place where we assume that this is what everybody does. Not because we're trying to beat it out of you, but because we got better things to do. Money is a neutral. It's a means to an end. It's neither bad nor good. Scriptures say the love of money is evil. Money itself is a neutral. So let's get a big pile right in the middle, right there, and then let's figure out if we can have some fun. Like when Moses was building the temple and they had to stop the people from bringing things. The people brought so much, Moses finally said, you know, we've got Mueller's pipe organ. We have got to move on and think of something else. That's, that's in the text. You can look. So apparently Mueller, they don't think that's funny. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean, he actually, it's a great text where he says, you've got to stop bringing stuff now. We don't have, we spent all the money. We don't have places to put it. Yes, Mr. Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, good. So let me see. I don't think you spoke very softly and kindly. Uh, basically, I, let me. If I think what you said, if I can sum it this way, which is, you know, we had some voters last meetings last year, and um, more people need to show up and do some good so that we can go forward together. Is that fair? Yeah, you're a newer member, Mr. Lee. I'm just going to say to you, um, last year we had a bad day. Uh, so, uh, and we're working really hard not to have a bad day again. So, uh, and you've heard it in the sermons and the Bible studies. Um, hey, you know what? We screwed up. You screwed up too. Um, but we've been to the Eucharist, you know, a hundred times since then. So, we're moving forward. And part of moving forward is talking about how we move forward together. So I, I just take your point and I'll echo it, which is part of the way we move forward is, if you come to church here, come to the voters meeting, everybody. If you come to church here, give in the plate, everybody, right? If, you, if you're a member of this community, be a positive member of this community, right? So that's what we're looking for. And I can just tell you, I, I've sat in hours and hours and hours and hours and days of meetings over the past year 
I can just tell you to a person, people in leadership, what they want is to build a community that all pulls together and loves each other and works works together within their means. That's what everybody's aiming at. But I just just also, you know, as the economy just shows a glimmer of getting a little bit better, I you know, I'm sensitive to your you know, as I talk to people, business seems to be picking up a little bit. I know there have been many of you who have sent me resumes and you haven't had jobs, and more and more of you are starting to find jobs. As it comes back to you, don't waste the opportunity to reorder your life. Don't waste the opportunity. Most of us have learned to do with less over the past year or two. As, you, as more comes back to you, fix your relationship with the Lord and his church first and then go on and fix the other stuff. So first the Lord, then your neighbor, and then, you know, then buy your second house or third car. This is a great opportunity. It's been enforced on all of us, but it's a great opportunity to please get it right. You know, don't waste this opportunity to get it right. Okay, does it make sense? It's just, you know, it's just, it's, and, it, and that's a happy day then. It's a happy day when we don't have to talk about this or we, we just get reminded uh, occasionally. I remember when I preached the first time on money here, somebody came to me and been a lifelong member and said, no pastor who's ever preached on money before, which I find startling, and I don't even know if it's hard, if that's actually true, but at least in that person's memory, it had never been talked about. So just talk about it. It seems ambiguous because you're free under the gospel, but you're free to obey as a slave under the gospel, and under the gospel, you serve Christ and your neighbor. Boom. And you can't serve Christ and your neighbor by giving zero. You can't serve Christ and your neighbor, real honestly, by giving 2.4%. The Missouri Senate's going broke. If you don't believe me, you know, read the, go to the convention, read the minutes. Um, the giving has been stagnant for decades. So here's the thing. I can't fix that, but I can maybe try to help you, and I can fix myself. So fix yourselves. And then you're free under this commandment to have it as joy. And that's the important thing, because I just tell you, being generous is really good for you. It's really good for you. It's just really good for you to be generous. It's really good for you to think about your neighbor. Yes, please. There's also a blessing. There is a blessing, and you you know what? You stopped me at the same point, uh, which shows you that i got to rehearse my speech better uh, in the new members class. So I take your point, which is the Malachi blessing, which the Lord says, you know, just do it, and I'll rain down blessings from heaven. And he said, you know, if you, if you can't really get your arms around that, just if you just do it, you'll find out that I'm faithful. You know, I'll blow open the floodgates and it'll all rain down on you and you'll have so much stuff you won't know what to do, right? So. Yes, please, Karen. You know, unless it's 9%, uh, everything we said stands. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't care if it's 97 or 90, but... Yeah, no, it's okay. It's uh, you know, uh, all is forgiven with that. We just have to do better by you. I mean, that you would be willing to do it, and those people come. It's fantastic. It's just you know, let's just try to get this figured out. And let's try to go forward. Okay, we got to go. We got another class. Thanks for coming. Okay, no Bible study next week. It's Palm Sunday. Things might go a little longer because we'll have more fun with music and stuff. Easter will be a big weekend, so we won't. We'll come back the week after that. We will probably talk about 8, 9, and 10 as the commandments. We do need to talk about those. And then um, if you kind of watch the margin comments, we've been trying to put a couple in that will be helpful, especially the one from Bailey next week, which very much goes to um, the 8th commandment because it talks about imagination and how we don't talk to each other. Our imaginations run wild and we do a ton of damage. And he gives this brilliant thing about, you can read it next week, but he basically says, he talks about a man who was in a concentration camp. And when he came out, he was surprised to find out that um, the people 
who were prosecuting the people who ran the concentration camp were more indignant about his treatment than he was, even though they'd never suffered it. And he says, it's because often our imagined ills are way worse than our real ills. Now, when you can say that coming out of a concentration camp, people have to pay attention to that. And that's, a lot of that has happened in this congregation. We've imagined people to be much worse than they are. So I would just say, you know, toward that stymie your imagination, which goes with put the best construction on everything, and um, begin to think toward your peers here, not in bitterness, not in anger, not in vengeance, but in forgiveness and in love. And it's not forgiveness and love until bitterness is gone, angerness is, go is gone, until no man is your enemy, until you're willing to make restitution, to make things right, and then even to make things better. And that's where we'll go in the next couple of weeks. So, um, see you in three weeks, but hopefully this week and then Holy Week too. Okay? Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.